Chapter Fourteen of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Fourteen: A Troublesome Young Person. Almost immediately after Seraph's departure with Mister Satterley, Minta had followed with Mister Hamlin, leaving Missus Burnham to the troubled thought of which I told you. Mingling with her anxieties was this one which had to do with young Hamlin. It was all very well for her to assure herself that she had no responsibility in the matter, that she had done all she could. The fact remained that people were looking to her to interfere in this intimacy, which seemed to have been renewed with tenfold vigor since Mr. Hamlin's return. Marian had sent her a little note assuring her that the very worst might be believed of the stories which were afloat concerning him, and begging her to use her influence with Judge Burnham. Before it should be too late, I have no influence," declared Ruth. She was quite alone when she said it, and would not have repeated it in any person's hearing for the world. But in her heart, she believed it to be painfully true. At one time, she resolved to enclose Mrs. Dennis's note in her next letter to her husband, without comment of any sort. But she shrank from doing this in the belief that only harm could come of it. And in her miserable vacillation as to what was best to do, she did nothing. Even though Mrs. Stuart Bacon said to her one day, "Dear Mrs. Burnham, do you know it is probable that that young Hamlin may be arrested for securing money under false pretenses? Isn't it sad? And his family connections have always been so eminently respectable." Not a word said Mrs. Stuart Bacon about the young man's intimacy in her family. But Mrs. Burnham's cheeks glowed over the thought that this too was a warning. It was in the evening of that day that Mr. Satterley said to her, "I doubt whether the judge, if he were at home, would care to have Minta's name coupled with young Hamlin's as much as it is. There are some ugly stories afloat concerning him." Then why do you not warn her? Mrs. Burnham had asked irritably, angry with herself that by so much. She must seem to accept his relations with the family, and also that she must, by this, admit to him her own powerlessness. But Mister Satterley had shrugged his shoulders and laughed, and asked her if her experiences with Minta led her to believe that that young lady was disposed to receive warnings very graciously. And then they had been interrupted. These last two hints, Missus Burnham did report to her husband. With the information that the young man was becoming marked in his attentions, that on some pretext or other he and Minta were together nearly every evening, and that, as he was well aware, there was nothing which she could say or do to prevent it, this letter was sent after Judge Burnham had been absent for six weeks, and his wife hoped that the hints it contained might hasten his movements. Meantime, on the evening in question, she was not left long to solitude. Kate came to her in the library with a puzzled air. Mrs. Burnham, there is a young person in the hall who asked to see you on special business and inquired particularly if you were alone. What sort of a young person, Kate? Some friend of the young lady's? I don't think so, ma'am. Oh no, I am sure it isn't. She is neat-looking and civil-spoken enough, but she doesn't belong to them. Then I suppose it is someone in search of employment. You might take her name and address and tell her I will see what I can do for her, 
though I am not on that committee. If you please, Mrs. Burnham, I don't think that will satisfy her. I asked her if there was a message, and if it was something I could do for her and not trouble you. And she said, oh, no, she must see you, and see you quite alone. Poor thing, it must be someone in distress. Let her come to the library and excuse me to my callers while she is here. But the young person who presently appeared before her did not look in the least as Ruth had immediately planned that she should. She was a girl of perhaps twenty, with a face which under favorable circumstances might have been beautiful. As it was, framed in clustering natural curls, and set off by eyes which, when they were not red with recent weeping, must have been very lovely, she was strikingly interesting. Her manner was so much that of a lady, that Ruth half rose to meet her with the ceremony of society customs, though the exceeding plainness of the young woman's dress showed that she was not making an ordinary society call. "'Mrs. Burnham, I believe,' she said in a clear and not uncultured voice. "'That is my name,' said that lady. "'Be seated, please. You have the advantage of me. Your face is familiar, but I cannot think where I have seen it.' I belong at the lace counter in Myers and McAlpine's store. You have seen me there. The tone was very assured. Evidently this young woman remembered her customer. A sudden light appeared on Mrs. Burnham's face. She recalled the pretty young girl who had interested her by her courteous and unselfish ways. Be seated, she said again cordially, with a wave of her hand toward the low rocker near. I am glad you have come to see me. Is there any way in which I can serve you? Mrs. Burnham, may I ask you a question which may seem very rude? I do not mean it for that. The poor child is in some trouble, thought the lady, some difficulty between her employer and herself, probably, in which she thinks I can help her. Well, if I can, I will. Ask me whatever you wish, she said aloud, and I will answer it if I can and her smile was intended to be reassuring. But the question was utterly unlike what she had expected. Mrs. Burnham, is the taller of your two daughters engaged to be married to Mr. Jerome Satterley? Then, as the look of astonishment on her hostess's face deepened into displeasure, she added in nervous haste, I knew you would consider me a bold, insolent girl, but I have indeed good reasons for asking and I thought I ought to come to you rather than to anyone else. Perhaps, if you could give me your reasons for asking so strange a question upon a subject which cannot in any way concern you, I might be able to judge you more leniently. Mrs. Burnham's voice was coldly dignified now. She had an abundance of what, for want of a better name, we may call family pride. But the girl made haste to respond. Oh, indeed, madam, it does concern me most bitterly. If it did not, I could not have come to you with it. If you will answer me just that question, I shall know better how to tell you the story, and I am sure you will say that I ought to have asked it. Mrs. Burnham was puzzled, but the girl was evidently intensely in earnest. We do not usually speak of such family matters, save to intimate friends, she said, but it is no secret, I believe, and I see no reason why I should hesitate to tell you that Mr. Satterley and Miss Seraph Burnham are engaged to be married. 
Then, madame, I ought to tell you, so that you, her mother, can explain to her that he is not to be trusted. Even at such a time, Ruth could hardly restrain a smile of sarcasm over the thought that she was supposed by any one to be the person to advise with and care for Miss Seraph Burnham. But nothing of this thought showed in her words. Indeed, she said with lifted eyebrows, that is a serious charge. One should know exceedingly well what one is saying who uses such language as that. Oh, I know, I know only too well what I am saying. I can give you proof of it. I did not come here because I wanted to, or without knowing what risk to my own reputation I ran. But I thought I could talk with you, because, Mrs. Burnham, she broke off suddenly, and then, before Ruth could speak, began again, working the fingers of her ungloved hands together nervously while she spoke. I need not make it a long story. I have been engaged to that man for nearly a year, and we were to have been married very soon. When I tell you this, and then tell you that he left me without a word of explanation, without any cause, so far as I know, beyond the one that he found a face that suited him better, do you not think I am true in saying that your daughter cannot trust him? Engaged to you? These were the only words Mrs. Burnham seemed capable of speaking. Yes, um, engaged to me. It sounds strangely to you. I knew it would. You cannot see how it is possible that the name of a poor girl like me, a clerk in a fancy store, should have the right to be coupled with that of Jerome Satterley. I do not wonder. I used to think so myself, and I said it was because he was unlike other men, nobler and better. Mrs. Burnham, you will want proof of my story. I can give it. Look, I still wear the ring he gave me. I am a poor girl, but we are respectable. We were not even poor always. Papa was a wealthy merchant, and Mr. Durand, one of the firm of Durand and Parkman, is my uncle. Mama is a widow, and we are poor enough now. I have been a clerk in a fancy store for three years, helping to support her and the younger ones. And you met Mr. Satterley where? In New York. I was a clerk in Jennings's at the silk counter. I met him at my uncle's here in town one evening, and then when he came to New York he called on me and was good to Mama and the children, better than anyone in the world, I thought, and in a very few weeks he told me that he had come to New York on purpose to get acquainted with me, that he did not care how poor I was, that he had money enough for both of us, and that Mama should live again in the style to which she had been used. He stayed in New York for four months. His uncle, Mr. Telford, is the president of the Grand Street Bank, and he stayed at his uncle's. When he went away, he was to come again in the spring for me. I can show you many letters from him which say so. Oh, I could prove it by witnesses if it were necessary. He talked frankly to Mama. She did not trust him, and he took it hard, and so did I. But Mama knew. She drew from her pocket a package of letters, carefully tied with a blue ribbon, and began with eager haste to untie them, while Mrs. Burnham questioned her as one in a dream. Let me understand. I thought you were a clerk here in town. I am, madame. I have been here two months. I secured a place. Mr. Jennings recommended me. I had not heard from Mr. Satterley in weeks, and I was so miserable, so sure that he was sick, or that some serious trouble had come upon him, 
that I could not rest without trying to find out. So I came here, and I have found out. He does not know that I am in the city, but I have seen him almost every day for two months, and I have watched him with your daughter until I know she is going through just what I have been, and I want to warn her. Believe me, Mrs. Burnham, that is all I want. It is not money that I am after. I never mean to bring any trial for breach of promise, though the promises were plain enough and often repeated. Read that. And she thrust before her hostess an open letter, which at first glance could be recognized as Mr. Satterley's very peculiar writing. As the girl said, the promises were plain enough, and repeated oftener than for an honorable man would seem to have been necessary. Ruth, as she read it, could not help thinking aloud. This reads like a man who is not accustomed to being believed. Does it? I did not think so, and I believed in him utterly. I almost quarreled with Mama because she could not fully trust him. I used to lie awake nights, thinking how we, he and I, would heap beautiful coals of fire on her head. He told me I should furnish her room myself with all the elegances that money could buy, and that I should make it exactly like the one she used to have if I chose. What an evening it was! The doorbell rang several times, and Kate came once with a message from one of the ladies of the Union, who was importunate. But Ruth waved her imperiously away, with the assurance that she could see nobody, no matter whom. Late into the evening the talk went on. Proof piled upon proof, incontestable, that the elegant Mr. Satterley, with the date of his wedding day actually set, had turned in swiftness and silence away from his deliberately chosen bride, and set himself vigorously to wooing another. "'But I do not understand,' Mrs. Burnham said at last. "'I do not see how he expects to manage. He must know that you will hear of it, and that you can make him serious trouble. Why does he not at least try to win you to silence?' A deep blush overspread the young girl's hitherto pale face, and she shook her head as she spoke quickly. "'He knows that I will not give him any trouble in the way you mean. He trusts me as fully as I trusted him. If I cannot respect him, I want nothing of him. But could I let him deceive another as he has me? In the sight of God, Mrs. Burnham, all I want is to save her. I ought to have spoken before, but I could not believe it possible.' He may be in earnest this time, but what proof can he give her that he has not given me? Over another question of her visitor, Ruth felt the blood roll in waves up to her very forehead. Mrs. Burnham, do you think a person who is a Christian ought to marry one who is not? No, said Judge Burnham's wife steadily and without hesitancy, and then that tell-tale blood had mantled her face. Mama thinks the same said the unsuspecting girl, intent only on her own story. And, oh, I thought so too, once, but I gave it up. I was so sure I could win him to Christ, and here I could not even... She stopped abruptly, as she had frequently during the evening. There seemed to be some sentences that she did not trust herself to finish. The voice was lower when she commenced again. Sometimes I have thought it was God's punishment upon me, for putting another in the place of him. It is God's love for you, my friend, in saving you from a miserable life. The words were impulsive, but they came from the heart's depths. 
She sat and thought long about it all after her guest had gone, sat even until she heard the merry voices of the returning young ladies and their attendants. Then she gathered in haste the work and the magazine that had long before dropped from her hands and made a retreat to the privacy of her own room. She had much to think about. What part was she to play in this pitiful tragedy of human life which had been so unexpectedly thrust in upon her? She had promised the poor little clerk at the lace counter that she would do what she could toward warding, or, as she phrased it, saving her daughter Seraph. Her daughter! What a miserable mockery of words! If she were in very truth her daughter, if her spirit burned within her, would not the girl recoil in horror from a life so utterly false as this? Yet did she expect it of her? She sat late into the night, trying to plan how it would all be, what she would say to Seraph, and also, more important, what Seraph would say to her, and what the outcome of it all would be. Would it humiliate the girl more, she wondered, to have the knowledge of her promised husband's false nature come through her lips? Yet who would tell it if she did not? The father was away, and there was certainly need for haste if anything was to be accomplished. Though what could she hope to accomplish? Yet in the name of their common womanhood, she could not let this one, to whom she stood before the world in the place of mother, go on in ignorance of the hollowness of the staff she was trying to lean upon. Ruth pitied her and pitied herself for the part she was to bear in the drama, and fell into a troubled sleep at last, still uncertain how to perform her task. Still uncertain, in fact, the next morning, when opportunely alone with Seraph soon after breakfast, and mindful of her promise to not let another day pass without warning her, she began with a hurried, Seraph, spoken in a tone of such evident perturbation as to cause that young lady to turn from the flowers she was arranging, and answer a wondering and inquiring, Well? And then Ruth wished she had not spoken, and knew not what words to put next. End of chapter 14 Recording by Tricia G.